Years ago, I was asked by three adult siblings to officiate their mother's memorial service. She had been an elder I had worked with at University Presbyterian Church when I interned there. One of her sons had been a friend of mine. As we chatted about their mother's life one afternoon, the two brothers and I, one of the brothers said to the other, hey, tell Doug about what she used to say when we'd go out. Now, neither of these two men had lived at home for years. They had not been teenagers in a long time, but my friend knew right away what his brother was talking about. He said that as teenagers, whenever they were getting ready to go out for whatever reason, their mom would stand by the front door. And as they were about to open the door to leave, she would give them a big hug, look them in the eye and say, remember who you are. That's it. They went on to tell me that they never had any specific curfew. She wouldn't mention any scenarios about drugs or sex or alcohol and what to do and what not to do. Just remember who you are. And it drove them crazy. They remembered times when they couldn't talk themselves into participating in some certain potentially detrimental action because they could hear their mother's sweet, gentle voice saying to them, remember who you are. Of course, that meant that their mom needed to have confidence that they did know who they were and that them knowing who they were would give them guidance for their actions. That work had to happen long before they got to that moment by the front door. The children needed to grow up hearing the stories of who they are, who their family is, often hearing those stories. They had to have grown up witnessing their parents live out the story in their actions. And the kids had to want to be a part of that story. In important ways, that, that relationship between those kids and their mom reflects our relationship with God. Every morning we wake up and head for the door of a new day, God stands there waiting to give us a big hug and whisper to us in a still, small voice, remember who you are. For many of us, at least at certain times, and for many people not a part of the Christian church, God seems far more like a parent standing at the door and angrily telling us, don't do this, don't do that, don't do anything, don't have fun, Lots of rules that God gives us a strict curfew and reminds us that there will be a drug test and a breathalyzer when we come home. And if we pass all the tests, then we will get a hug. But as we will see in our main scripture this morning, that is getting the story backwards. 
God doesn't give us a ton of rules and then wait for us to prove ourselves. God loves us from the beginning and wants our actions to flow from that identity of being loved. The major work of the people of God is not following rules. The major work of the people of God is remembering our story. In our text from Deuteronomy, Moses envisions a domestic scene of another sort between a child and a parrot, a parent, <laughs> parrot. And in Moses' scenario, we hear, in the future, when your child asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? That's the scenario that Moses envisions. And we don't hear anything about why specifically the child asks the question. But Moses knows as God's people enter into the promised land and settle, their actions as a people will be different than those already living there. And given that the people already living in the promised land at this point still practiced temple prostitution, child sacrifices. Moses is very much hoping that God's people won't entirely blend in with their actions. Understanding human nature, Moses also knows that kids will wonder why they are different. In Moses's scenario, it is likely an adolescent asking the question. The subtext for the question is probably, why don't we get to do some of the fun things that they get to do? The clue, again, is that pronoun in verse 20. What is the meaning of all these decrees and laws that God has commanded you? One of the commentators I read about this noted that that is distancing language, which is completely appropriate for adolescents, distancing from their parents. In this little parable that Moses is creating then, the parent is faced with a critical choice of how to respond to their child's question, how to answer that question. Donald Block, a professor emeritus from Wheaton College, puts the issue in a contemporary form when he writes, Some years ago, when our children were still home, at the supper table we were having a rather heated conversation over ethical issues and how we as Christians respond to them. In frustration, my teenage son blurted out, why do we have to be such a prehistoric family? While the tone of his voice left something to be desired, his question was profound. How do we respond when our children ask these questions? Do we say simply, this is how we have always done it? Or this is what the church teaches? Or this is how we are obligated as Christians to live? Or do we offer something else, something more? What Moses encourages us to do is 
remember and tell our story. Again, verse 20, the child comes, asks, what is the meaning of all of these things? And Moses doesn't say, just tell him to obey and be done with it. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand before our eyes. The Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders. God brought us out from there to bring us into and give us the land that God has promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees, to revere the Lord so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. The story of salvation from slavery in Egypt is essential for the identity of God's people. It is a story of God's life-changing love. They hadn't done anything to deserve enslavement, but neither had they done anything to deserve God's intervention. The law, as we know it, all those commands and stipulations and decrees hadn't even been given yet. There was no list of do's and don'ts that they could use to earn their salvation. God chose them out of love, rescued them from the oppression of slavery out of love, led them through the desert for decades out of love, and now God was giving them this new land to settle in out of love. All that love and grace had already been showered on them. The rules and commands are given to keep this relationship of love and grace going. Again, that last part in verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to revere the Lord your God, our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. This is the story that God's people, of God's people, that Moses encourages all of God's people to remember and tell. The child had asked, what is the meaning of all these rules God has commanded you? But Moses says to answer by including that generation and the next generations and ourselves in the story. We were slaves in Egypt when God lifted us out of slavery and God led us into, gave us the promised land. The reason that the Hebrew Bible is included in our Bible as essentially part one is that this is our story too. This is the story into which Jesus was born, and in our understanding, the story that Jesus continued. Our gospel reading this morning is one of the passages that reveals the link between the story of God's people in the Hebrew First Testament and the story of God's people continued in the Greek New Testament. In that gospel passage, Zechariah is a temple priest, and... The father 
of the newly born John who became John the Baptist. And Zechariah's song reveals his awareness that the great story is continuing with the births of both his son John and Jesus, who is about to be born. Again, Zechariah says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because God has come and redeemed the people. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is the birth of Jesus in the lineage of David the king. Again, a continuation of the story. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember the holy covenant. The oath God swore to our ancestor Abraham goes on and says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give God's people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. So now it's not just salvation from our our mortal enemies, our, our other human enemies, but even ourselves and all that is at war within us because of God's tender mercy. But this is the continuing story of salvation by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The same grace and love that God revealed in bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt is now continued through the grace and love of Jesus Christ bringing us out of enslavement to sin. The story of God's grace and love continues in the story of the grace and love of Christ. And Paul encourages us specifically as Gentiles to remember that it is through Christ that we are incorporated into the story. That's how this part of his letter to the Ephesians goes. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. But in Christ, we were brought into the covenant. We were brought into the grand story of salvation that Jesus in his own body broke down all of the barriers between us. And consequently, we are now no longer foreigners or aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Because of Jesus, this whole huge story of God's grace and love is our story too. There are plenty of times when I wish that as a follower of Christ, I wasn't different or wasn't at least supposed to be different. There are plenty of times when I wish I could just be foul-mouthed, ruthless, and greedy. 
There are plenty of times when I whine to myself, why do I have to love my enemy? Or again, why am I supposed to love my enemy? Why do I have to pray for Donald Trump or Mitch McConnell or an incredibly long list these days of horrible people? Why can't I just get what I want and not worry about anyone else? But then I remember my story. I remember the nights of terrorizing anxiety, the days of pitch black sorrow and emptiness. And even more so, I remember the moment when I finally experienced the presence of Jesus Christ with me, the burden lifting from my body and from my soul, the love and the joy filling my heart and my whole being. And then I realized that all the rules and commands are guidance for how to continue to experience God's love and God's grace and guidance for how to help others experience Christ as well. As we continue to move into the summer months and especially into fall and the November election and winter we face circumstances and decision-making that are almost beyond our imagination. As we try to navigate our way through all the decisions that will have to be made, Moses and Zechariah and Paul encourage us, remember all the grace and love that God has given us and how God encourages us to respond to all of that love. Remember our story that we might find guidance for today. Amen.